0: Some weddings you always remember, some because they're beautiful and emotional and poignant, and others for other reasons. And this was one of those weddings that I remember for other reasons. It, it, it might actually be one of the most disastrous weddings that I've ever been to. But I, I really knew that we were in trouble when we got to the vows. And, you know, you as the pastor, you kind of feed the vows to the bride and the groom and, you know, in sickness and in health or richer for poorer until death do us part. And it ends with, this is my solemn vow. So I led the bride through this, we got to the end, and I said, and this is my solemn vow. And she held her husband-to-be's hand and said, and this is my solemn vow. And then it was his turn to repeat the vow. So we did it line by line as you do. We got down to the end, and I said, and this is my solemn vow. And he held her hands and looked deeply into her eyes and said, and this is my semi-solemn vow. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding. I, I'm like, maybe I should just stop right now and look at her and go, it's not too late to get out of these things. I mean, solemn means uh, I'm behind this. I'm, this is serious. Semi-solemn? That means this is good for now, but something else that's more interesting might come down the pike and I wanna leave my options open for that. So I have serious doubts how long the wedding, the marriage actually lasted. But I wonder, do we approach some things in life like that? I'm into it for now, but if something more interesting comes along, I might be into that too, and I might change my mind and do that. Instead, I'm semi-serious about this thing that I'm committing to. And then I wonder, do we approach God like that? God, I'm semi-serious about having a relationship with you. I'm semi-serious about following you. So we're almost at the end of this sermon series. Matt's gonna wrap it up next week. And right before, in the the text of Deuteronomy, right before Moses goes into honestly some pretty technical and dry stuff, he's taking this last opportunity to remind the people of where they are. They're about ready to move into the new territory, into the promised land like us. And he's looking at them saying, You've got to be serious about the promise that you've made to keep the covenant. Because other things, once you're in the land, other things are going to come down the pike and you'll be tempted to wander off. I think of a line from the old gospel song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And that's just kind of oftentimes the human condition. So Moses is reminding the people that semi-serious isn't going to cut it. So let's look at some portions of this large section of scripture today from Deuteronomy chapter 9. Verse 1. Here, Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them, and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them, he will subdue them before you, and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. So before he gets into this, Moses is offering a brief word of encouragement. There are going to be challenges out ahead of you. There are going to be challenges out ahead of us, but God is with you. And that's important because so much of the biblical text is about remembering. Remember what God did in the past. But we also have this promise about the future, that God goes before us, and that's encouraging. So when you're keeping your commitment to Jesus and following him, God goes before you in every aspect of your life. And that should help us move forward. That should help us have hope for the future. I like what Howard Hendricks, a Christian educator said one time. He said, if your memories are bigger than your dreams, you've already started to die. But the corollary is, if your dreams are bigger than your memories, then the best is yet to be. Our memories of God's goodness drive us forward with confidence into the future that God is calling us into, and I believe the best is yet to be. So after this moment of encouragement, Moses goes on, verse 7. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you've been rebellious against the Lord. At Horeb, you aroused the Lord's wrath so that he was angry enough to destroy you. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord had made with you, I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I ate no bread and drank no water. The Lord gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments the Lord proclaimed to you on the mountain out of the fire on the day of the assembly. At the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave me the two stone tablets, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord told me, "'Go down from here at once, "'because your people whom you brought out of Egypt "'have become corrupt. "'They've turned away quickly from what I commanded them "'and have made an idol for themselves.' "'And the Lord said to me, "'I've seen this people, "'and they are a stiff-necked people indeed. "'Let me alone so that I may destroy them "'and blot out their name from under heaven, "'and I will make you into a nation stronger "'and more numerous than they.' "'So I turned and went down from the mountain "'while it was ablaze with fire, And the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. When I looked, I saw that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made for yourself an idol cast in the shape of a calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took the two tablets and threw them out of my hands, breaking them to pieces before your eyes. Well, that's pretty dramatic stuff. Moses goes up Mount Sinai to confirm the covenant, to confirm the special relationship between God and his people. And at some level, we kind of take that for granted. But it's kind of amazing. We believe that if we pray, God hears. And that's really that covenantal understanding that's been handed down to us. We have this agreement, and God keeps it. When we pray, he listens, and we just operate like that. But anyway, Moses was gone for 40 days. And at the end of that, they're down there worshiping the golden calf. But that doesn't really tell the whole story. So let's do a little bit of math. If Moses comes down after 40 days and he finds them already worshiping God I mean they've already got a whole liturgy worked up let's back the timeline up so they had to decide that they wanted to do this they had to collect all of the gold they had to melt the gold down they had to form the golden calf they had to codify their worship and they did this all in 40 days so just how long do you think they were faithful to the promise they made? A couple of days? A week? Not long. Just how seriously do you think they took the promise they had made? Semi seriously? In Exodus 32, the story is told in more detail, and this is how it begins there. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, just stop there. How long had Moses been gone? A couple of days and it was so long so what do they do they gather around Aaron and said come make us gods who will go before us as for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt we don't know what's happened to him and so they chucked the whole thing as for this fellow Moses it's like they barely know who he is it's like where well we don't know where he went He's probably abandoned us. Was he consumed by the fire? Did God really say that he was going to do this for us? Well, Wait a second. Did God really say? That sounds so familiar. Where have I heard that line? Oh, yeah. Genesis chapter 3. When the snake, when the serpent, as Satan, says to Adam and Eve, Did God really say? And it's that doubt, that casting doubt, that begins to lead people away. Most of us, if someone said, you must abandon your faith, we'd go, no. But that's not how it happens, is it? We abandon our faith little bits at a time. We listen to doubts a little bit at a time. Did God really say he would always be faithful? Well. No. I don't know, there was that time where he didn't seem really faithful. And then that's where the second thing they do comes in. They begin to doubt, they begin to listen to doubters, and they start to complain. Complaining goes like this. Somebody says, I'm wrestling with whether God is faithful. And somebody else says, well, let me tell you a terrible story where God totally let me down. And then it gets into, isn't the food terrible? Why do we have to walk so far? Why aren't we worshiping the way that we want to worship? You've got doubt. You've got complaining. And those voices won the day. Those voices can be devastating to any cause. And they were devastating to this one. So they make an idol for themselves. And really, anyone will do. They just say, make us a god. They don't care what the god looks like. It doesn't matter because what's going on is they're making God in their image. They're making God what they want God to be. How do I know this? Because several times God refers to them as stiff-necked. And what this is, is this really colorful word picture um, that comes from oxen, you know, large cows that pull plows. And the idea of being stiff-necked is when the farmer takes the yoke which is the big wooden thing that yokes them together that's why they call it that Um, the oxen is stiff-necked when he won't go underneath the yoke the oxen basically is saying I'm not going to be yoked to this and when God says we are stiff-necked what he's saying is that we are saying God I don't want to do what you want me to do what they wanted was a God of no expectations They wanted to serve the God of doing what they want to do. And honestly, if I look at us in our situation, and I look at the temptations that are lying ahead of us as we enter into new territory, I think that's the biggest God that we're tempted to serve too. Oh sure, there's a whole lot of other gods that we're tempted towards, but the God of doing what we want to do when we want to do it, that might be the biggest one in the pantheon. I remember several years ago, I was talking to a guy who was really going through a rough time. And I knew that he wasn't super connected uh, to a whole lot of people or to any smaller groups or anything like that. And so one day I said to him, after we had talked several times about what was going on in his life, I said, you know what I'd like to do? I would really like to set you up with a mentor. It would be another guy who's a little bit further along the Jesus road than you are, who could listen to you, who could give you some advice, who could really help you understand what it's like to follow Jesus during tough times and remind you of God being present with you. And he said, well, I'd be happy to meet with somebody, but I just want to be very clear. I'm not going to have somebody else tell me what to do. I'm my own man, and I'm going to make my own decisions. And I thought that, about that for a second, and I thought, and how's that working out for you? Not so well, and yet we're still tempted. That's what we want, the God of me doing what I want to do when I want to do it. I think God looks differently at Harbor Covenant. I had a friend went and visited another church that is a church of some notoriety, and I was kind of interested. You know, I got a gig on Sunday mornings. I can't visit other churches. And so I said, what did you find the difference was between this church and Harbor Covenant? And he said, well, this other church, they talked a whole lot about how much God loves you. And at Harbor Covenant, we talk about what we need to do in response to being loved by God. And I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. I like that we know that we're loved by God. But being loved by God then requires something of us. We, we have to respond to God. So I'm, I'm really good with that. We believe that following Jesus pays enormous dividends, but it can't be done with a semi-serious commitment. No more than a marriage can be successful with a semi-serious commitment, or a committee, or a drama group, or a sports team. Nothing can be successful with a semi-serious commitment. Certainly nothing worthwhile. One of my favorite quotes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a mid-20th century German theologian, eventually perished in one of the concentration camps right before uh, it was liberated. Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus bids a person to come follow him, he bids him come and die. Because there's no resurrection without dying. There's no new life without an end to the former one. There's no marriage without leaving your single life. Behind. So Jesus pays enormous dividends, but we don't get that with the semi serious commitment. And we're forming a community here, not just a group of individuals, and that's two very, very different things. We're forming a community of people who love and care for one another, and we're purposely trying to live into the often countercultural values of the kingdom of God. Over this year, I can't tell you how many times when people have been going through something difficult or even when they've been encouraged by someone, that they've said to me, what would I do without my church family? And it's just an acknowledgement that we have created something special here. God has created something in us. And, And every once in a while, I realize that I take the uniqueness of our Christian community for granted. Uh, Like, Megan works, uh, you know, in the school, and she's got lots of great friends, lots of good people. But we have discovered that it's not normal for people to bring dinner to one another when they're sick, because something will go on. You know, maybe somebody will have surgery or be sick or something like that. And frequently, Megan will say, well, can I bring you over dinner? And people are always shocked. And then Megan is shocked that they're shocked, because we're like, isn't that just what people do? When, When you've got somebody that you know, don't you just bring a casserole over? But apparently people don't do that, you know. So there are uniqueness of things, unique things about our community like that. And so because of that, we want to help you deepen your faith. We want you to know that you're deeply loved, that no matter what you've done or where you've been, that God is calling you home to him. And then we want you to grow in your faith and help us by the grace of God to answer the call that God has given us to help God change the world. Everything that Moses is talking about, and I think this liminal state that we're in, is really a test to see just how deep our commitment to Jesus is. We may believe in Jesus, but unless we're growing in wisdom through exposing ourselves to God's word and to mentors and to growth experiences, ultimately our faith is going to be fairly shallow. And it's not going to be a lot of use to us during difficult times. And so because of those things, we don't want to turn to building the God of no demands. We don't want to turn to building the God who just baptizes everything we want. We don't want to turn to the God of doing what we want to do when we want to do it, because there's no power there. There's no life change there. So in response to this, Moses spends some time in chapter 10 reminding them of who God is. And then we get to chapter 11, and there's this, this section beginning in verse 1, where Moses says, Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God. His majesty, his mighty hand, his outreached arms, the signs he performed and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh king of Egypt and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, son of Eliab the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with all their household their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all these great things the Lord has done. You saw these things. You saw what God did. What story will you tell? God's at work. God has been at work. And there will be the people that see that and share it and encourage people. And then there will be the complainers and the doubters. And as we move forward, our community will be shaped by one or the other either the voices of encouragement, the voices that have seen God at work and encourage people, or we will be formed by the complainers and the doubters. Which voice will yours be? I remember um, in the church that Megan grew up in, there was this older woman who was very, very spiritual, a good person, deep into prayer, deep into intercession. She was the type of person that you wanted to pray for you if you needed something prayed for. But she could find the downside of any up. And one of her friends, a contemporary with her, one day came up to her after church and said, Gladys, tell me something good. And Gladys had to think for a minute, but then she came up with something good. I think we fall into patterns. We fall into complaining. We fall into just seeing the negative or whatever. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that we know God is at work because we've seen it. And then in verse 26, he writes, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. In some ways, Deuteronomy gets a bad rap because Deuteronomy is very black and white. You follow God, you'll be blessed, you get the land. You don't follow God you'll be cursed you're kicked out of the land very very black and white very very you know binary it's one or the other Deuteronomy doesn't know anything about uh, a middle ground but honestly when it when it talks about the blessing that comes from following God and the curse when you don't I think most of the time what we're talking about are consequences of our actions I think God gets blamed a lot of times when really it's just us living with the logical consequences of the choices that we made. And I think when we make a choice to follow God, not half-heartedly or with a a semi-serious commitment, but when we follow God fully, blessing tends to follow. And and we can't confuse blessing with all good things, you know, because following God doesn't guarantee that every good thing will follow you and nothing bad will happen. That's not what we're talking about here but blessings tend to follow you you get the blessing of starting fresh you get the blessing of a clear conscience you get the blessing of a life of significance you get the blessing of community you get the blessing of hope and if you chase after the god of doing what you want when you want to do it well how's that working out for you so i'm going to be a little vulnerable here so don't judge me but i have been watching this youtube channel Um, probably 50 videos that are posted there Um, and it's called Hollywood Graveyard like I said don't judge me and what it is is this really engaging person who goes around to cemeteries uh, primarily in the Los Angeles area and he visits the graves of famous celebrities Um, and it's not just you know here's Judy Garland you know here's Charlie Chaplin whatever he goes through and he tells their stories. And so it's actually very interesting because he goes way back to the dawn of film, you know, 1900 pretty much. And, you know, so you can see the development of the movie industry. Um, But one of the things that I have noticed, whether it is contemporary people or people who were only in the silent film era, there is a tremendous number of people whose story ends very young or ends very tragically now these aren't all a-list celebrities but they were famous enough to get on you know hollywood graveyard and a tremendous percentage of them take their own lives out of desperation a tremendous number of them die young from alcoholism or from substance abuse or from the other ravages of the lifestyles that they have chosen Serving the God of doing what you want to do when you want to do. And it just illustrates what I think Deuteronomy is talking about. That if we follow God, we end up on a path of blessing. And if we follow other gods, the God of doing what we want to do when we want to do, it's a path that's really fraught with curse. And we get to choose which one we want to be on. So I have three questions for you. How serious are you about the vow you have made to God? Semi-serious or totally serious? Number two, is your voice encouraging people towards faith? And number three, what things have you seen God do?